You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. So grateful for our listeners, Michael. Does it sound strange to you if I say that I listen to this podcast? Now, I don't I don't listen to hear me. I, I listen to hear your teaching. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine you driving down the interstate in your car listening I to do. the podcast. I really do. You know what? Because when you're in the middle of the production, sometimes you miss some of the nuance, you know? Now, sure. Uh, producer Joe is so good about uh, putting this all together for us. Right. Once he moves the pieces around yeah. and sort of makes it make sense. Yeah. 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 I do notice that I talk too much, so I'll uh, I'll try to back off no. today. But... <laughs> no, Wayne. No. <laughs> We're so grateful for listeners. Here's one. Scott, he, he's doing what I do. He's, he's, he says, thank you, Michael and Wayne, for your faithfulness and messages delivered through the weekly show. Being on the road much of my work week, I enjoy being able to be fed with biblical conversation and teaching. Thank you for riding along with me this evening as I travel from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Indianapolis, Indiana. I had saved a few shows. You were great company over the four-hour drive. May God continue to use you wow. in what he is blessing. Thank you, Scott. Wow. See, we listen on the, on the road, yeah. Scott, if we were actually there in the car with you, you might not have the same feeling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, got a, I've got a letter. You want me to read this one? Um, I was listening uh, recently when you were talking about how Jesus wept with Mary when Lazarus died, but responded to Martha's theological questions about the resurrection. I was struck once again, grateful and amazed, how well God knows how fearfully and wonderfully made we are, and how he can use the means that will best capture each of our hearts to get his message through. Mm -hmm. Your music and your books on the gospel, as well as this program, have been tools in my life in God showing me how to grow in grace and that he does know where to find me. Thank you for faithfully, honestly sharing his word, Teresa. Well, let's just let me say, Teresa, what I say to so many people, if, if, if our conversations, if this program, if any of the things that we've produced help you, it, it wasn't us that helped you, right? If you receive real encouragement and uh real um i know are really fed by them that's the lord uh doing his work in spite of us but thank you i'm not pushing away your thanks uh thank you for taking the time to write us and encourage uh encourage all of us because we really do appreciate it. i agree 100 percent. thank yeah. you for saying that mike coming up we're gonna talk with nick ripkin not his real name uh, it's a pseudonym because this man has lived in many countries of the world where the gospel is an enemy of the people of that country mm. uh, and in their minds. And we're going to uh, hear from his experience about learning from our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. He's the author of The Insanity of God and other books. Just a great guy. He can really give us a unique perspective that we don't get to hear from very yeah. many other places. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to get that perspective in a moment when he joins yeah. us on the telephone. But first... 
I'm going to ask you to sing this song from our studio recordings that you've done for us, Michael. Scattered Strangers. You, you don't know how many mm-hmm. times I've used this, uh, this image that we are not scattered strangers as I yeah. travel about and meet people from around the world. It's, it's really a great image. Yeah, on, on the original recording of this song, uh, we were in China at a meeting of an underground church uh, group, and I think we were in a garage someplace, <laughs> and we, we recorded the believers there singing together. And wow. we, uh, with their permission, we put that on the on the original recording. So oh, you'll yeah. hear at the yeah. beginning and the end of the song this Chinese singing. Yeah. And uh, and I had that experience, Wayne, that we we really are not scattered strangers. I had a oneness with those believers in China in that garage that I have with you and Joe yeah. and other people that uh, you know I walk with every day. Yeah, I've had similar experiences around the world. It's it's remarkable. Yeah. It's, it's it uh, it's a gift from God to have those experiences. Well, we we don't get to hear those Chinese voices on this version, but we do get to hear <laughs> Michael scattered strangers. We are not scattered strangers. We are one, and we are free. Though we have broken faith and divided, we are one family. the time we've been apart, for our hatred of each other, for our stubborn hearts, for the prisoner we've forgotten in a foreign land. If we could weep their tears, then maybe we'd finally understand. We are not scattered strangers. We are one, and we are free. Though we have broken faith and divided We are one family When he cried out to the Father on bended knee In the garden where he pleaded for our unity As he cried out from the cross that it finally was done Tell me, is that not enough for us to become one? We are not scattered strangers. We are one, and we are free. Though we have broken faith and divided, we are one family. Such a great message there. Mike, Nick Ripken was with me on my radio show called First Person recently. And to get into our conversation with Nick now, let's listen to just a short clip from that, and then we can jump in here. So here's Nick. We follow believers all over the world. And the ones that are, I think, unwisely rescued and brought to the West, after 10 years, say, for instance, if we follow and keep up with 10 believers, who have scars on their body and scars in their soul and have been willing to die for Jesus in their people group of origin and their family of origin 10 years after being in the USA out of 10 believers who have been rescued one of them is still practicing their faith when I say this to a group the Americans will be incredulous and think that the malaria has scrambled my brain and yet that Chinese lady 
that's East European or whoever they may be will stand up weeping and say, listen to this man, listen to this man. It was so easy to see the choice between dark and light, evil and good, Jesus and Satan and our country of origin. But in your country, how do you choose the great when you are all the rich young ruler? Well, that was Nick Ripkin, who's our next guest. And um, I think maybe what I'm hearing you say, Nick, is that in, in instead of being taught by us, these persecuted believers who come to the U.S., they need to be teaching us what the gospel's all about. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh, Jesus said we're to be sheep among wolves. And in my bachelor, uh, master's, and doctorate in the States, uh, I was taught how to be sheep among sheep. And so I think they have the insight and in, in exactly what Jesus was saying our environment was to be like. And when the sheep huddle with the sheep and neglect being among the wolves, uh, then where is witness if witness is reduced to inviting somebody to church? Mm-hmm. Nick, uh, at the time of this conversation, I, I can't help but uh, mention that we are just now beginning to learn what's happening to believers in Afghanistan after the fall. And you want to talk about people who are being persecuted. I mean, there are horror stories already coming out of Afghanistan, even even though, as we speak, we're in the middle of it right now. Yes, I uh I have some great friends that are some of the ones who are most intimate with what's going on there. And over the weekend, they were sharing texts with me and told me I could share it as long as I keep specifics out. But I was getting texts like, uh, Taliban are surrounding our house right now. Hmm. And then uh, uh, 10 minutes later, we jumped over a back wall and got in some cars. Uh, and then Taliban, uh, we're going up to a... Um, uh, Taliban checkpoint, pray. Uh, and then I don't hear anything for an hour, which is very, very concerning. And then I get a text, we're in the airport, 16,000 people here. And, mm. and so it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really bad for believers, but it's absolutely horrible for non-believers who are mm-hmm. going to go in eternity without Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And again, we need to support them in prayer, of course, but we need to learn from them, too. Well, you know, when you get into a, a, a Black Hawk down, you get in this situation like the chaos of Afghanistan. Uh, basically, what you're going to pray is, Lord, uh, let there be a remnant to, to remain, because in these really severe situations, uh, my biggest prayer is, Lord, give us the wisdom not to extract every believer so that uh, the one demon that is cast out of the house doesn't go and get seven demons worse than themselves mm. and the latter state of Afghanistan be worse than it was 20 years ago. Well, Nick, uh, I understood that when we were working with the Bible League and smuggling Bibles into China, that uh, more Christians are dying now for the cause of Christ than at any time in the history of the world. And yet we in America sort of are oblivious to that. American Christians are oblivious to that. That should really inform our faith and and, and our priorities, shouldn't it? Well, I think uh, one of the buttons that gets pushed on me all the time is when we talk about persecution coming to America, and I ask why, uh, people give me uh, especially two major social issues that Christians are getting pushed back on, and we're trying to get the... Uh, government to make laws about. And 
and yet believers in persecution, the reason they're suffering is because of two things. They've decided to follow Jesus, and they share Christ with others, uh, neighbors, friends, uh, at work, at school. And, and, and so um, being persecuted for who Jesus is and being getting social pushback for social issues are not the same thing. Nick, you've lived in countries where persecution is rampant, um, and you are trying to educate all of us about what to learn from our brothers and sisters. What is, what is your basic message to us? Uh, it's a, it's a, a number of things. And a snapshot is that persecution in the Bible is normal. Uh, uh-huh. uh, you don't run away from persecution, and you don't run toward persecution is how you interact with it when it comes, not if it comes, gives it its value. And the number one cause of persecution on the planet is per- people coming to Jesus. When there's, a, when there's a great harvest, there's a great persecution. Where there is little harvest li- because of little witness, there's little persecution because what threat is little witness and growth to, G- to, G- to, to Satan himself? Mm. Personalize it for us. Tell us some of your experiences and help us learn from these brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just remember uh, sitting with believers in East Asia uh, and in China and and them talking to me about uh, 40% of their men, women, uh, highly educated, uh, rural people, uh, oral communicators, uh, older, young, 40% of them were in prison at that time at any, at any one moment. And they mm. said to me, Nick, a prison in our country is our theological seminary. And then they sort of laughed and looked at me and said, uh, now that you're with us here, how many degrees do you want to get? <laughs> and, 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 yet, and, and yet that presents its own problem. And because and, I, I said to them, what are you going to do when they wise up and they stop arresting you? So you don't know who to trust because no one's been to prison. I said, please don't think like that. Mm. Yeah, I can rem- Nick. I remember being in China and uh, I was with a pastor who was in prison for twenty-two years, and his message was, "Thank you, prison." And as an American, I just couldn't wrap my mind around that. Yeah, and the thing is, again, they're in prison. Why? Because they refuse to be silent. We don't know the dividing line. The dividing line is not government, uh, whether or not we're persecuted. The dividing line is whether or not we share appropriately, daily, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The dividing line is witness. The dividing line is not location. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need to be praying, but what, what, in addition to that, can we and should we be doing on behalf of this, this church around the world that's suffering? They ask us uh, not to pray that they will be rescued uh, right. uh, in their suffering. They ask that they will be obedient to share Christ in their suffering. And yeah. I, I think praying, praying for them, because <clears throat> the more that they have, Buildings, properties, denominations, possessions, the easier it is for the persecutors to control them. And that's what brings it home to America. If what I just said is true, if what I just said is true, that's why uh, not persecution is coming, 
But what faith is in danger in America, as I said in another interview, uh, it was horrible for me to realize going to Africa that if I had access uh, to medical care, access to shelter, food, water, and security, that made me the in the top 5% of the richest people in the continent of Africa. Therefore, I've realized since then I am the rich young ruler. Thus are most people in America, and we know what Jesus' command to that young man was. Go and sell all that you have and come follow me. The radicalness of, Christ, of, of following Jesus uh, has been diluted. So what does it look like for us? What is our responsibility before the Lord? Our, our responsibility is always asked, not what I can collect for myself, but what I can give away. And I can personally testify uh, to that, what, what I can share with others. Uh, uh, Ruth and I, for the last 35 years, have, have owned a used car. After our son died and we were in the States for three years, we bought a used car. And now we've come back to the States, and I've had some very serious back surgery. It's going to take me a year to, to walk upright and to be able to travel like I, I want to overseas. And yet we have our first house. We have our first vehicles. We're paying property taxes, and, and we have now things that Americans generally would not even, you know, they would just take for granted. It's just what all Americans have. And I am struggling with my stuff huh. where, where things were so simple for me overseas, uh, just taking care of my yard and my house seems to be distracting me uh, from living the life that I've lived for 35 years. And so the mm. more stuff that I have and that I collect, the more distracted that I am, and I admit uh, to being frustrated and having to work harder to be in environments to where I can share my stuff and share my witness rather than being kidnapped by my stuff. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lyric that says, it's, it's hard to imagine the freedom you find from the things you leave behind. So the idea is that we, I think Bonhoeffer said, we, we possess things as though we possess them not. So it's not wrong to have a car. It's just, it's wrong to let the car own you. Right, right. And, and the, the, the idea is, uh, uh, I've been in a walking culture, Ruth and I have been, and, and, and so you walk with your neighbors, you don't drive by them. And, and I'm just uh. astounded. Uh, that in the community that I live, we met everybody and uh, some godly, godly people, but I don't walk by them and walk with them anymore. I, I drive past them, mm. and it, it's just the nature of the beast that I drive to work, I drive to recreation, I drive to the supermarket. How can I stop and uh, bless somebody? And uh, uh, I've never had a Muslim. Never had a animist, I've never had a Hindu uh, say to me, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Mm. Uh, and, and one of the things that mm. Christians do, and I'm not changing the subject, but Christianity has something that no other faith system does, and that is praying for people outside of a religious building or a religious city, and to pray for people in their homes Pray for them as you're meeting them along the street appropriately. You're not going to do this and embarrass people. 
but being able to talk to them, finding out their needs, saying, can I pray for you, writing down their prayer requests, but driving by folks and 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 just the, uh, the amount of time it takes for me to pay my taxes, uh, to pay my, uh, uh, you know, my uh, mortgage, uh, to, to do the things that Americans take for granted, uh, detract from my focus on being a good neighbor. Well, Nick, I hope you don't mind me sharing what you shared with us just before going on with this interview. Uh, for reasons known only to God, you've been brought home to America and uh, you're in the neighborhood you're in, but there's a need in that neighborhood right now that you're you're a part of meeting along with others. Talk about what's going on. Well, I've got one neighbor, uh, uh, Miss Mary. I won't tell you more, but she's got a heart condition, and we go over and pray with them quite regularly. But the house right next to me, I've got two twin little sweet girls and 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 five children under teenage years and the father went to work and didn't make it out of his locked car and just had heart failure and and uh, EMS was called when people couldn't get in the car and, oh. and uh, revived him but he died as his wife got to the hospital so we've got a mm. we've got a neighbor with with uh, 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 five under teenage children and I promise you uh, we're gonna go over mow yard and and uh, do some things and uh, but this this community of believers will take care of that family, yeah. and uh, and it'll be a big witness to those in our community that aren't aren't believers as they also join us in this. But I suspect you're doing exactly what you would have done in any one of the number of countries where you've lived as well. Well, I think it's it's just what uh, I mean. Anybody that wants to revisit that Good Samaritan story would understand that this is just the basics of who we are in Christ. And again, we cannot become too busy uh, to love our neighbor. And knowing our neighbor's names and knowing their needs is just part of loving our neighbor and and, uh, not being so busy going to work or going to sports events uh, 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 to walk by these needs that just make us human. Well, when Jesus was asked what the most important command was, his his answer was loving your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely, and uh, and I question how much we love ourselves uh, a, a lot of times. But uh, again, believers in persecution, if there's a big takeaway, uh, is how much they belong to each other. Uh, I, I'm telling you, uh, a family, uh, the the, the the husband's in a KGB torture facility, and the family is on a train bound from nowhere. They're going to dump a wife and four kids 18 hours in the middle of nowhere. And a man comes up to them on that train and asks, are you pastor so-and-so's family? And in fear, the mother with the kids behind them says yes. And he says, we were praying at this last stop is a, a church you don't even know about. We were praying last night, and the Holy Spirit told us, get on this Take up an offering for me to get on this train and bring you this money. I'm going to see where they dump you. This is enough money to last six months. I'll be back when this runs out, and we're going to take care of you. You know what we call that? We call that church. Mm. Mm. But you you have to belong to God, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leaning, and, and then be able to belong to each other. 
Nick, we have learned so much from you, not just from this conversation, but also from the books that you've written. So thanks for who you are, who the Lord is uh, using so mightily here, even in this set-aside time on home assignment, as they, I think they still call it that, don't they? I don't know, but uh, we're so grateful for you, Nick. Uh, Michael, you've, you have a song called The Overcomers, I think would fit right in here. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll play that song for you right now. But Nick, I want you to go and, and go care for your neighbor uh, and, and thank you for giving some of uh, your time so we can uh, speak together. Well, remember what believers always say, don't give up in freedom, what we never give up in persecution, and that is our witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Mm, amen. 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 The Overcomers. Michael, thank you want to... God. Thank you, Nick. You want to say a word about the song and writing the song before we hear you sing it, Michael? Well, I, there's a consistent pro- promise in the book of Revelation to those who overcome. And this song is basically a collection of, of all of those statements. To the one who overcomes, I will give this. To the, over the one who overcomes, I will you know, give that. And that it's a, it's a basic overview of the book of Revelation. Okay. Ken Lewis plays percussion as Michael sings on this song. I know your deeds. I've seen your service. I recognize the reputation of your lives. But I know you live near Satan's shadow. And I have seen your faithful struggle to survive. To the one who overcomes, I'll give the manna. He'll have a pure white stone with his own secret name. She will possess the morning star in all its splendor. All this and more for them because they overcame. So just hold on and do not grow weary. For I am he who searches hearts and minds. Behold, I'm standing at the door and I am knocking. And the one who hears and opens it will find That the one who overcomes will rule the nations On the throne he'll sit beside me dressed in white She will become a column in God's holy temple And they will all eat freely from the tree of life And they will all eat freely from the tree of life The overcomers come to understand That they are precious poems printed In the palms of His hands And to the one who overcomes I'll give the manna He'll have a pure white stone With His own secret name She will possess the morning star In all its splendor All this and more for them Because they overcame All this and more for them Because they overcame All this and more for them Because they overcame A meaningful song that wraps up the first half of this podcast. If what you're hearing has stirred you to want to explore the scriptures further, look online for more from Michael that can help. You'll find music, the latest book release, The Nazarene, and news about upcoming conferences at michaelcard.com. 
If you're new to this podcast, be sure to look through the podcast archive for an extensive collection of classic and current editions to hear and enjoy. And we're always glad to hear from listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Coming up, more music and conversation waiting for you after this message in the studio with Michael Card. I'm so glad the Holy Land Illustrated Bible is this month's featured resource. I spent a lot of time traveling throughout Israel, and I learned new things about the life situation of the scriptures every time I go. This Bible edition reminds me of where I've been in Israel, and I hope it'll make the scriptures come alive for you too. Search for Holy Land Illustrated Bible at csbible.com and read more about this unique study tool. And when you order, apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through Lifeway. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with Lifeway. The Holy Land Illustrated Bible is packed with hundreds of pictures, articles, maps, and illustrations that will bring the ancient world to life. Dig deep into the text with the helpful study tools as you discover the meaning and message of God's Word to you today. I hope you take advantage of this beautiful and well-thought-out study edition of the Bible. Search for Holy Land Illustrated Bible now at csbible.com. We're always able to pack so much into the hour that we have together each week, and we're going to uh, hear more of Michael. You're teaching from Sandy Cove Ministries. This is a, a road trip that you took. You were invited to sing and teach on the life mm-hmm. of Jesus, and we've been hearing that uh, over the last few weeks here. Today we come to the heart of Jesus, but let's talk about where we've been so far, the world of Jesus. Well, uh, I, I look at his, his heart, his world, uh, his mind, you know, his life. I'm trying to divide, uh, to, to take this massive uh, uh, amount of, of, of information that we have on, on Jesus himself and, and break it up into pieces that, that are, are more understandable. Hmm. And, uh, and the heart of Jesus, I think you see in the way he interacts with the individual peace, people, uh, his, his emotional life, his, uh, the way he, he reaches out to uh, to marginalize people, to women, to uh, people who are hurting, to people that are sick, and and um, it just try to get your arms around or your mind around this this elegant life. Hmm. Uh, it's a real challenge. What a wonderful word, elegant life. All right, we're going to hear that yes. teaching in a moment, but you're going to sing for us first. Now, the the wonderful thing about this song is that producer Joe accompanied you to Israel. Uh, co- yeah. A couple of years ago, and recorded you on Mount Arbel, is it called in Galilee? Yeah, and and this is I, I don't think I've ever uh, re- been recorded singing in in an actual location, but we're basically looking over the northern tip of the lake, which is where ninety percent of Jesus' ministry in the gospel takes place. So I'm I'm basically looking at the Sea of Galilee and singing this song, which is uh, pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah, well, close your eyes with us now as yeah. Michael takes us there. This sort of relates a little bit to the location. Because Jesus called the disciples. I mean, that all happened right down there. I mean, just the northern tip of this lake. It, it's, to me, it's amazing to me. My old conviction was that this is the only party ever went to, but when we crossed this, this time, 
I thought in all of his life, he must have been all around this lake. He must have walked over those hills. He must have come up here. You know, I can't think that it was just there that he, but that's where the ministry was. There sits Simon, so foolish and wise, which is right on the bank along there. That's where they were cleaning their nets. Proud, see, proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls, and the boats drift away, and all that he owns he forgets. But more than the nets he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. And this is Matthew, which is like right there in Capernaum. So that's the only time I can do that. Well, I'm doing that for you, Nate. <laughs> and Matthew was mindful of taking the tax and pressing the people to pay. But hearing the call, he responded in faith and followed the light and the way. And leaving the people so puzzled, he found the greed in his heart was no longer around. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Every heart needs to be set free from possessions that hold it so tight. Cause freedom's not found in the things that we own It's the power to do what is right With Jesus our only possession Then giving becomes our delight And we can't imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Show a love for the world in our lives By worshiping goods we possess But Jesus said, lay all your treasures aside And love God above all the rest Cause when we say no to the things of the world We open our hearts to the love of the Lord And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Oh, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. So what I want to look at this morning is the, the sort of kind of the emotional life of Jesus and, and what his heart uh, is like. We're going to look in, in a second that the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Jesus' emotional life because Mark comes to us through Peter. I think Peter is in touch with his emotions better than anybody. So Jesus is far more emotional in Mark than the other Gospels. And I've, I've counted adjectives in Mark that uh, describe his emotions. I'll share those with you in a minute. But in Mark, uh, Mark 3, he looks around at them in anger and deeply grieved. In Mark 8, 12, he sighed deeply. Then there's the passage, I think it's right after the transfiguration. Jesus says, how much longer do I have to put up with you? 
Every time I read that, I say, you know, Jesus, that really hurts my feelings when you say that. <laughs> Looks at the disciples, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? And there's all sorts of background of that word, put up with you. It comes from 8th century BC and it has to do with to hold your hands up as a token of defeat. So he comes up and he goes, how much longer do I have to put up with you? Uh, and then there's my favorite, Mark 9, 9.22. And uh, the person says to Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, what do you mean if? I love that moment. What do you mean if? You know, that sounds like some of my friends. So what do you mean if? Uh, joy, Luke 20, uh, 10.21. And this is a moment, other, my other favorite moment. And it, what is said of Jesus by Luke is said, if nothing remotely is like it is said anywhere else, Luke 10, 21, Luke says, and Jesus, full of joy with the Holy Spirit. He's full of joy with the Holy Spirit. And what fills Jesus with joy? He's joyful because God has hidden things from wise people and revealed them to little children. Jesus is the kind of person that's just filled with joy that God is turning the world upside down that the people who used to be on the outside are now on the inside. And the insiders are now on the out. That just, he just loves that. And that, because that's his heart, right? Because if it weren't for Jesus, you and I would be hopelessly left on the outside, right? We're, we're that group. So what I want to do is, um, let, me, let me just talk about the voices of the Gospels briefly, and then we're going to look at some intimate moments of Jesus with one other person. And I have, to, I have to explain sort of the voices of the Gospels to make this point. So just let me briefly give you a quick overview. Uh, I find it interesting that two of the writers of the Gospels, mothers, were followers of Jesus. How cool is that? Uh, the Gospel of Mark is almost certainly written first, right after the fire in 64 AD, in response to that fire. Uh, the, some of the early Eusebius, some of the early church historians say that the, the church, they come to Mark, who is a disciple of Peter, and they say, please write down Peter's account of his time with Jesus. And so the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Peter, which explains a lot of... Uh, uh, the tone of the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's Peter. That Jesus is far more emotional. There are 15 adjectives that, that Mark uses to describe Jesus' emotions. John, which is a much bigger Gospel, only uses four adjectives to describe Jesus' emotions. So he's fairly unemotional in John. But in Mark, boy, he gets madder, or he, he looks at someone and loves him. He looks at the rich young ruler and loves him, that sort of thing. Far more emotional in Mark. And that's got to be... Um, I think, um, a, a leftover or, or an effect of, of uh, Peter's, just what you would expect. Luke, we don't know if Luke, and which was written next. I, I kind of think maybe Luke was, but it, uh, never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. Write that down. Never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. Uh, but I think maybe Luke might have been written uh, next. And Luke is a follower of Paul. So what would you expect? from a person who was a follower of Paul writing about the gospel. Well, he's interested really in two things. He's interested in the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Where do you think he got that from? And he's also interested in the innocence of Jesus. Now, again, this is just a theory. We just don't know. But I think it's a very good theory. It was a theory that was uh, taught by my mentor, William Lane, who was you know, a great, great Bible teacher. 
Bill said that he believed that Luke was written as a cover letter for a collection of Paul's letters that were submitted at his trial. And then, of course, it gets circulated through the church. But, um, and he said that explains perhaps this, this focus on the innocence of Jesus. Uh, Christianity is not a threat, not to be seen as a threat to Rome. And uh, interesting in Luke, at the end, everyone's saying he's innocent. I mean, one of the thieves who's being crucified with him says he's innocent. Pilate keeps insisting that he's innocent. And uh, it's just, that's one, to me, one of the interesting uh, uniquenesses of Luke. We come to Matthew. Matthew's, uh, I call it the Gospel of Galilee. Matthew's interested in Galilee. A lot, a lot of people think it was written for Christian synagogues. There were Christian synagogues uh, in Galilee. And Matthew somehow had some sort of responsibility over them. And Matthew is interested in being a, a Jewish writer. He's interested in, the, in Jesus fulfilling the Hebrew Bible. Everything Jesus does in Matthew. I mean, he moves to Nazareth. And that's to fulfill the prophecy, he will be a Nazarene. And then finally, John, which is what we're going to be looking at. And I, I bring up these distinctions because I, I just want to make a point about John. John, obviously, it will not obviously, people believe it's the last gospel written, and I think that's probably true. Peter's been dead for 30 or 40 years when John writes his gospel. I mean, think about that. Um, John's the last living disciple at this time. He's like 90 to 100 years old. I mean, imagine sitting in Ephesus, and there's this little pruny old guy sitting up on the front row, and you go, that's him. That's John. There's a really good chance that he and Jesus were first cousins, um, which I find interesting. Uh, John's mother is Salome, and Salome at one point is described as his mother's sister. So there's a chance. I won't be dogmatic. I just think it's interesting. Uh, the, 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 the women, the three who go to the tomb uh, after the resurrection, there's one of those three women is described three different ways. Salome in one version, his mother's sister in another version, and I forget what the third one is, but if that's the same person, then John and Jesus are our first cousins. Uh, he's the last living disciple. It's an elegant gospel. Can, I mean, can, will you give me that? Mark is, is fairly primitive. That's part of his perfection, right? I'm a pointy-headed fundamentalist. I believe they're all perfect. I'm st I still believe the gospels are perfect. The, the Word of God is perfect. And part of Mark's perfection is how simple it is and how rough it is. Okay? That's Peter. But John is elegant. There's all these themes, you know. They're little blocks of sermons. This is the verdict, John says at one point. And um, in fact, there are a lot of places in your red-letter Bibles that aren't Jesus talking. It's John preaching. But it's just so beautiful and so elegant, the translators put it in red. But it's probably not Jesus speaking. doesn't mean it's any less, less uh, authoritative. But John has this elegance because he's been teaching this stuff for 50, 60 years. And so it comes together in, in beautiful themes. And I think that that's a, a, a beautiful solution for this, this elegance of, of John's gospel. And the other thing that I find so interesting about John is, did you know 92% of John is unique. You know, we have the synoptics, one eye, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke. But then 92% of John is unique. 92% of John is not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, if it was 50%, you'd say, eh. But 92%, he's doing this on purpose, y'all. Right? He's doing this on purpose. And so one of the wonderful things when you're looking at John is to see where he leaves stuff out and what he substitutes when he leaves stuff out. It's just so, so fun. And the best example for me is... Uh, Lord's Supper. There's no Lord's Supper in John. How do you tell the story of Jesus and not tell about the Last Supper? What is wrong with you, John? Are you senile? Did you forget? What is wrong with you? John leaves out the Lord's Supper, but only John tells us what happened after the Supper and that Jesus washed their feet. Only John tells us that story. That's part of the 92% unique. And I suggest to you that John is the first person that can bring himself to tell you that story. Because Peter was right. Jesus should not have done that. It was too much. To, to wash their feet like a slave? That's too much. And Peter says, you know, you ought not to be doing this. I love it when people tell Jesus. John the Baptist at one point says, you know, you ought not to be doing this. I, you should be baptizing me. Peter says, you know, you ought not to be doing this. And then Jesus says, essentially, Peter, if you don't get this, you don't get me. Right? If you don't get this, you don't get me. I'm the servant Lord. If Jesus, if you don't know him as your servant Lord, you don't know him. You don't get him unless you understand that about him. He longs to wash our feet with the water of his word every day. That's just, that's his heart. We're talking about his heart. That's his heart. You just don't get it if you don't get that. So let's don't be like Peter in that. There are lots of ways we should be like Peter. Um, I can't read my writing. I must not be important. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, one of the uniquenesses of John's gospel is only John, only John shows us Jesus spending an extended amount of time with one other person. The synoptics do not do this. But John does it, and I count them, um, John does it six times. I, I, I refer to them as the intimate moments. There are six blocks of text that have Jesus talking or dealing with just one other person. And I find that, that's part of the uniqueness of John, I find that really interesting that as a, as a pastor, because John is a pastor, he's responsible for a circuit of churches along a mail route in, in the Roman province of Asia. A pastor is interested in seeing Jesus relating to one person at a time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke aren't interested in that, but John's interested in that. I can, I can list them for you. The first one is Nathaniel. It's a fairly, uh, not, a, not a long block of text, but Nicodemus. I mean, think of that story, that long talk, Jesus talking with Nicodemus, only in John. Uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. We're going to look at that this morning, chapter 4. Uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda, we're going to look at that too. I call him the man of excuses. Uh, I called him a jerk one time. I think it was here, actually. And there was an older person who was really upset that I would call someone from the Bible a jerk. So I'm not going to call him a jerk. I'll think of some other name to call him. But he's just... Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to influence you to dislike this man as much as I dislike him. Okay, 
Okay, there, then there, in contrast, and if we have time, we're going to look at him. There's the man born blind that Jesus healed, who I just love this little guy. He's just so present and so sweet. You just love this guy, okay? And then finally, um, there's the long passage where G, uh, John looks at Jesus' relationship with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So those are some of the uniquenesses of the four and so we want to look at some of these intimate moments. One more quick sidebar, and then we'll, we'll start looking at text. And this is a new idea for me. If this is not new, tell me, raise your hand, because I'd never heard of this. Did you know that there were messianic miracles in Judaism? Uh, it was taught that there are certain miracles that only the Messiah can do. Uh, and I've spent months looking for the source, and I found it last, last night. And it comes from one of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in K4. There was a scroll. It was scroll uh, five, four, uh, 521. It's called the Messianic Apocalypse. And this scroll lists four miracles that only the Messiah can do. And listen, see if these sound familiar to you. The first one is cleansing a leper. Now, we don't realize what a big deal that is, right? Because leprosy, my father actually worked in a leprosarium during World War II in New Orleans. Um, it's curable. I mean, it's treatable, Okay. In Jesus' day, it was looked upon as a living death. And nobody cures a leper, okay? So only God, only the Messiah uh, can, can cure a leper. So that's one. The second one is casting out a deaf, dumb spirit. Uh, Matthew 9, 32. You wonder why that detail is given, because that's a big deal. A, a deaf, dumb spirit that can't hear what you're saying. I guess that has something to do with it. Uh, the third one is raising from someone from the dead after three days. We all know who that was, okay? Jesus, Jesus does that. And that's actually the reason they kill him. You know, at the end of that story, it says that's when the, the, the leaders decided we're going to have to kill him. Right? There's nothing else, else we can do with this guy, right? He's raising people from the dead. And then finally, number four, is healing someone with a birth defect. Healing someone who was born that way. And uh, only the Messiah can do that. So those are four messianic miracles, and Jesus does all four of them because he's the Messiah. <laughs> There's a wealth of things that I professed. I said that I believed. But deep inside I never changed. I guess I'd been deceived. Then a voice inside kept telling me that I'd change by and by. But the Spirit made it clear to me That kind of life's a lie I have decided I'm gonna live like a believer Turn my back on the deceiver Gonna live what I believe I have decided That being good is just a fable I just can't cause I'm not able Gonna leave it to the Lord so forget the game of being good and your self-righteous pain Cause the only good inside your heart is the good that Jesus brings And when the world begins to see you change, don't expect them to applaud Just keep your eyes on Him and tell yourself, I've begun the work of God I have decided back on the deceiver gonna live what I believe I have decided being good is just a fable 
I just can't cause I'm not able I'm gonna leave it to the Lord I have decided I'm gonna live like a believer Turn my back on the deceiver I'm gonna live what I believe I have decided That being good is just a fable I just can't cause I'm not able so glad you joined us for this session. It's our prayer that the music and conversation was used by God to grow your faith and enrich your understanding of the Christian life. Please share your reactions to this hour. Post a comment on the Michael Carb Music Facebook page. You can learn about Michael's books, his music, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com. And share what you've discovered on your favorite social media platform. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors of the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can help you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the Holy Land Illustrated Bible. There's hundreds of pictures, helpful charts, and articles and illustrations about the situation in Bible times that will bring the Scripture to life. Search for Holy Land Illustrated Bible. When you order, use the promotion code in the studio typed with no spaces and you'll receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for sitting in on this session in the studio with Michael Card.